I'd like to talk with you about a topic I title, Lord, teach us to fight. You may say, what, what are you talking about? Well, stick with me for a while. Open your Bibles to Luke 22. And what we'll learn from Scripture is that there are three battlegrounds in which all of us must fight. There is an external battle. We fight against the world, the world's philosophy, the world's ideology that tries to draw us into all kinds of thinking that is antithetical to a biblical worldview. Then there is an internal battle. Sometimes we're fighting against ourselves. Our flesh loves to sin, loves to do things contrary to God's word, God's plan. And the only way we can defeat and subdue the flesh is to walk in submission to God's word and God's authority. Then there's a third battleground. That battleground is a spiritual battle. We fight, as Paul says, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and wicked spirits in high places. In other words, we have a battle that we must fight against Satan and his demons. In fact, we want to camp out right there today in that third battleground. As you've been journeying with us, we're on a 40-day spiritual journey as a church. We're on day 35, and we've, been, we've titled the journey, Joining Jesus in Prayer. Watching how Jesus prayed, learning how he prayed, being guided by his prayer models and methods and styles, praying many of his prayers, but more than anything, adopting his prayer habits. And so I want to bring you right now to Luke 22, where we see Jesus teaching us how to fight using prayer as a weapon. Simon, Simon, Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, you may say, well, you said you're going to tell us about how Jesus teaches people how to fight. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Think about it. Here's Jesus having one of those face-to-face -face conversations with Peter. You know how it is when people look you eyeball to eyeball. They're about to say something serious. And if you're like my wife, when she calls my name twice, back-to-back, -back, and sometimes you use my middle name, it's whatever is about to follow. <laughs> I got to pay a lot of attention. So Jesus is looking at Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift all of you, all the 12 disciples, like wheat. To give us an image, wheat was sifted by placing it on this, this coarse sieve. And it was shaken up. Rocks would stay on top, debris would stay on top, chaff would stay on top. The kernels of the wheat will fall through the holes into the collecting basin. And then it'll just be all the chaff, the debris, the garbage thrown away. Jesus said, Simon, referencing, this is Peter now. Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift all of you as wheat. Shake up your life. So the essence of who you are is thrown away and you become a shell of a man, a husk. Nothing on the inside, no substance, no purpose, no value, no strength, no direction, no success whatsoever. 
And you think, well, if, if Satan's going to do that, let's fight Satan. Jesus is a fighter. How did Jesus fight? We sang the song, this is, this is how I battle. This is how I fight my battles. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon. Oh, that's his weapon. His weapon of choice. That your faith doesn't fail. So I'm ask, I ask the question. I like asking the scriptures questions. What are you saying, Lord? How do you teach me how to fight? I believe Jesus would say to me, David, stay alert. Jesus is pointing out to Peter, you're under satanic attack and you have no idea. You have no clue that you're being attacked. Satan is very tricky. He didn't use a moral tactic against Peter. He didn't use a sexual tactic against Peter. He didn't use a financial tactic against Peter. He didn't use an ethical tactic against Peter. He was chiseling away, chipping away, attacking Peter's faith, his trust in God, his confidence in God, his authority in God. And it was slow. It was subtle. It didn't even seem like it was happening. Mind you, this was days away from Jesus going to the cross. Satan had already gotten Judas. Peter was next. If Peter toppled, being one of the prominent apostles, it'll make it so much easier for others to topple. I wonder who in your family or in your life is Satan attacking and they have no clue. This is very real. You know what's frightening to me more than anything? Peter was walking with Jesus every day and he had no idea that he was being attacked by Satan. We can walk with Jesus every day. But if we don't know how to stay alert, if we don't know how to be observant, how to be sensitive, how to be aware, we can be victims of satanic assault and we have no clue. I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just trying to let you know that this is real. You may say, well, how, how does it begin? Watch Peter's response. Let me reread to you Luke 22, verse 31, this time from the message translation, which is a very modern translation of the Bible. Jesus says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I'm ready for anything with you. I'd go to jail for you. I'd die for you. Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have three times denied that you know me. Herein we see the answer. How do we stay alert? Why did Peter fall prey to lack of spiritual alertness and then be under attack by Satan. 
Peter became too comfortable with Jesus. It's like sometimes, if you're from the old school, my parents, they're Jamaicans. So am I. When I came over this country when I was eight years old, but my parents would use Jamaican phrases, West Indian phrases, when I was a child. And, you know, we're four of us island kids, and we'll get into a silly mood, and we're laughing, we're joking. And then we say something to mom or dad that crosses the line. How many know what I'm talking about? And they'll quickly make that line clear. Peter had become so comfortable in his relationship with Jesus, walking with him, with him every day, doing crusades, doing meetings, watching the miracles, the blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, demon eyes being set free. Jesus, you know, is doing his thing, and Peter didn't realize he began to somehow become so comfortable with Jesus that he started to question Jesus' authority and the accuracy of his authority. When Jesus said, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And I, Jesus, have prayed for you. I've used a weapon of prayer to protect you. Peter's like, look, look, Jesus, look. Whatever comes down, I'm with you, man. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to jail for you. Whatever they want to do to you. I'm on your side. Let's do this. He had no idea. He reduced the power and the value of Jesus' words, authority, discernment, guide, check, perspective to himself. Jesus said, stay on your toes. So this is helping us understand. How do we stay alert? Don't get so comfortable with Jesus that you don't let the authority of his word guide you. Don't get so comfortable with Jesus that you start to second guess and to be able to reduce, you know, the power of Jesus' words to you. Don't get so comfortable with Jesus that you start to reduce the authority of scripture in your life. And don't get so comfortable with Jesus that you figure, I don't have to pray any longer. I don't have to pray as what I, how I used to pray. I don't have to do that anymore because I'm mature in the Lord. You're being deceived. Guys who are walking next to Jesus are under attack. What makes you so special? NASA, they, they were bragging about they made the most powerful telescope ever. The James Webb Space Telescope. It's the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. And this telescope, it's able to see a little penny from about 24 miles away. Imagine we as human beings have created, I'm throwing myself into the mix, we as human beings have created this powerful telescope to see a penny is 24 miles away, galaxies way beyond, and yet we can't even see when the devil's attacking us. I want you to see, Peter learned because when you fast forward, looking particularly at the Gospel of John, you see Peter, now, when he, when he denied Jesus three times, just within the same moment, same day, same period, we see that Peter bawled when the rooster crowed because he realized, I had misdiagnosed and become so callous and so hardened inside, I didn't realize I was indeed under satanic attack. 
when Peter grew, fast forward now, Peter's writing this letter to the Christian you know, believers scattered all over the Roman Empire. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, look how Peter preps them how to be able to fight spiritually. Peter says, stay alert. Peter, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter's telling me stay alert now. Peter! So there's something to it. You want to fight spiritually? Stay alert. And then he uses the metaphor, the devil's like a lion prowling around. A couple of months ago, in March, I was in the section of Kenya called Maasai Mara. It's where the wild animals are in their natural habitat. Lions are roaring, are prowling around. You have zebras, you have giraffes, you have elephants. This is not like great adventure. This is, you're out where they live. And so you're staying in a hut-like shanty. And so they have Maasai warriors that will guard the perimeter at night. That's what I'm talking about. So if I want to get dinner... I can't just, let me go and get dinner from the restaurant that's maybe about, uh, I don't know, a three-minute walk from my hut. The Maasai warriors would come with a flashlight. And the Maasai, they understand. They're tall, lanky, you know, African tribe called the Maasai tribe. These are the fierce warriors that, you know, historically, in order for a Maasai male to enter into manhood, he has to kill a lion. I'm thankful that I'm here in the States. In order for a male in America to be a man, you still got to pay your taxes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you, I'm good. I'm good. I pay Uncle Sam. I'm a man. I'm a man. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we went out on this safari. They put us in this Jeep. About six of us can fit in the Jeep with the driver. The driver is one of the safari uh, tour guides. More than a tour guide. He's you know, like, almost like a forest ranger. And the safari truck has no, no windows, no glass. So you just you walk in through the door and, and, and then you close the door. There's no glass. The roof is like a plastic roof. And so imagine now the four glass areas of the door, front seat, rear seat, no glass. Front windshield, that's about it. The driver says to us, we're going out to see the lions now. It's evening time. They're about to have their meal. Maybe we can see a kill. I'm saying, he said, get your cameras ready. So I pull out my cell phone. I'm ready. And he says, now, stay in the vehicle. Don't put your hand out. Don't put a leg out. Don't put your neck out. Because when you stay in the vehicle, the lion thinks you are the vehicle. So it's a big, one of those big uh, Range Rovers. No, huge so he, the lion sees the rover, the Range Rover, and thinks you're it, so he doesn't mess with you. The moment you put your hand out, your leg out, your neck out, the lion sees that you're small, and then you become dinner. So I had my hand in the vehicle. Now, we, as we're driving 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we get to this thicket, this large, you know, this tall grass, maybe about three, four feet high. It's brown, golden color, and it's a broad field, maybe, the, let's say, about an acre. And so we're, he just, the, the driver pulls right up, and he says, now, get your cameras out. Now, we're looking. We don't see anything. He says, get your cameras out. He says, a lion in that thicket, and he's prowling. He's in a stealthy way, stealthfully late way, looking for a kill. I didn't see the grass move. I didn't see anything. <laughs> this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But his senses 
had been so attuned to how lions and their movements that even though it was not obvious to me, a foreigner, me, someone has no clue about lions except for going to the Bronx Zoo when I was a kid and, and seeing documentaries on TV, I had no idea whatsoever. And so he said, stay right here, be still, shh. We're all sitting there, three minutes go by. It's the longest three minutes, five minutes. Five minutes, come on, man. Refresh my camera, come on in here. And all of a sudden, out comes this male lion out of the thicket. We had no idea it was there. Jesus is telling Peter, stay on your toes. Peter, years later, is telling us, if you want to fight spiritually, first lesson, stay alert. You have to be observant. Don't sit back and just, oh, everything's fine. Be observant. How do you stay alert? Pray, God, open my eyes that I may see what Satan is trying to do. God, help me to be observant, alert as to what's going on with my wife, what's going on with my children, with their emotions, with their desires, with their future. Help me to stay alert as to what's going on with me, with my thoughts, with my desires. This way, God, that there's no, there's, there's no access to me. Stay alert. Jesus didn't stop there in teaching us how to fight. Not only do we stay alert, we strike first. What do you mean strike first? Don't wait for Satan to throw the, throw the first blow. You throw the first blow. What do you mean? That's Satan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you can't play with Satan. You can't play with the demonic. In Matthew 12, this family brings a demonized person, family member to Jesus, to cast out the demon out of it. Out of him. Jesus cast out the demon. The Jewish leaders, when they saw that, they said, the only reason why Jesus can cast out demons or have authority over demons to tell them to come out of the person's life is because Jesus, in fact, is the prince of demons. He is Beelzebul. And Jesus said, look, look, how could Satan cast out Satan? He said, a kingdom that's divided is going to fall. Let me tell you how I do it. And in Matthew 12, verse 28, here's what Jesus says. No. It's not Beelzebul, but God's spirit who gives me the power to drive out demons, which proves that the kingdom of God has already come to you. No one can break into a strong man's house and take away his belongings unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Jesus is saying, here's how you fight. You strike first. That person that came, I knew that they were demonized. I cast out the demon. I drove it out. Power against power. The authority of, 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 the, of, of the power of God is greater than the authority of the power of the evil one. And Jesus says it was a confrontation. I struck first and I cast it out. You can't be afraid. A friend of mine, he tells me this story. Today he's a black belt in judo. But he tells a story of when he was eight years old, coming home from school in the third grade. When he gets home, he's crying because on the way home, this bully in his class pushed him around and grabbed his glasses off his face and wouldn't give it back. He gets home, and as he's about to walk into the front door, there's his dad. His dad just comes out of the house. And his dad was a former Marine, so his dad stands there flat-footed like that, sees his little 8-year-old boy crying. He said, what's, the, he said, what's wrong, son? He didn't go over and give him a hug and 
So what's wrong? So amidst all of his tears, Derek says, this boy in my class pushed me around and grabbed my glasses and he took my glasses and he wouldn't give it back. Father didn't flinch. He said, go get your glasses back and don't you come home unless you have your glasses. Now, that household, the father wasn't playing. The father was really saying to his son, look, you're not going to live here anymore <laughs> unless you have your glasses with you. Now, I understood that because my dad was like that. I mean, so you knew he, he wasn't playing when he said that. Other people play around it. They give you one time, two times, three times, and they forget about it. Oh, you didn't get your glasses. Come on, we'll go back to the glasses store and get you another pair. No. His dad says, go get your glasses. And don't you come home without your glasses. Because a bully in the third grade will be the same bully in the fifth grade, will be the same bully in high school, the same bully in life. If you don't know how to deal with the bully today, you'll never be able to defeat the bully. Go get your stuff, and don't you come home without your stuff. Then he says to his older brother, who's like two years older, he said, Jeff, go with him, but don't do anything. Just, just, you know, just stand there. So Derek goes and finds the bully. I said, what happened? He said, it wasn't pretty, but I got my glasses back. <laughs> so there's something about that. You need to be able to know how to take the offensive approach. In battling, there's either defense, where you're protecting and guarding yourself, or there's the offense. Offense is when you're advancing, is when you're moving forward. No army can win a battle always playing defense. No basketball team can win a game always on the defense. At some point, you must shoot the ball. Same way when it comes to spiritual battles. Many of us, we're going through things, all kinds of terrible things in our home, terrible things with our children, terrible things sometimes in our body, terrible things in our minds, terrible things in our, in our family structure, and we're sitting there just saying, I just pray that Satan doesn't bother me. Satan is crazy. He's, there's, there's no sanity there. He'll bother you even if you're minding your own business. So Jesus tells us, you have to strike first. How do you do that? Know your right as a child of God. Jesus says, I've given you power and authority to drive out wicked spirits. So I don't have the power. I don't have the authority. But I do have it in Christ. So the moment then I recognized my right as a believer, when I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, July 6, 1982, at 10 p.m., when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was no longer just an ordinary person like the rest of the world. I was now a child of God that was given the right to use the name of Jesus. And when I pray and to pray in His name, it's like Jesus standing before God the Father saying, God, my Father, do this for me. So when I pray in Jesus' name, Jesus is now bringing that news to the Father, bringing that request to the Father with the same authority, with the same confidence, with the same assurance. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. It's not about just, oh, it's a religious mantra. No, it's me saying to God, God, it's not just, it's not David Ireland making the request. It's Jesus, you know, he's conveying my request because when he died for me, he became someone that practiced what theologians call the substitutionary atoning death. He took my place on the cross. He bore my sins on the cross. And so when I pray, I'm not praying in my own name. I'm praying in the name of Jesus. So I have authority. So you need to now take authority as a believer. See, we must have the posture 
So when you strike first, you're in essence saying, I'm going to take authority. I'm going to walk in the, in the authority that Jesus gives me. I'm also going to walk in obedience to all the will of God. And when I walk in obedience to all the will of God, and I use the word as my weapon, and I quote the word, and I stand on the promise of the word, I can advance and move forward. I want you to see how you do this. See, the mindset that you have to take, though, is that Jesus didn't just have pity and compassion for the demonized. He took authority and prayed for those in trouble. And so may I suggest that when you start praying offensive prayers, that is striking first, you're looking at your future and saying, where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing? What is, what is, what is God's plan for my children? What, what is God's dream for my city? And so offensive prayers is forward types of prayers. It is advancing kind of prayers. It's futuristic kind of praying. That's how you need to pray. Don't just pray about in a reactionary way what's going on today. Pray about what you want to see tomorrow. Pray about what you want to see in the future. So you have to have a mentality that says that Christianity, it's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. It's a different mentality. If you sit back and say, well, just, I just want to love everybody. You ought to love everybody. We ought to love everybody. But there's a part of Christianity that is very fighting, that's very militant. Paul says, we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. It's a different mindset. I've been on a couple of cruises. Last year, my wife and I, to celebrate our anniversary, we took a cruise. And there's something about cruises. I mean, everything about cruises, it just, it elicits laziness on your part. I mean, it's, I feel so lazy. This cruise ship had 17 floors. About a thousand staff members. About six, seven thousand passengers. One whole floor was a cafeteria. Food from all over the globe. You want Asian food, get Asian. You want American food, get American. You want African food, get African. You want Indian food, get African. And then one, you know, one day it's just every cuisine. You want steak, you want fish, it's all there. And on top of that, they had 24-hour-a-day room service. One day, I, I, just, I woke up at 2 a.m. and I was just hungry. <laughs> so I told Marlinda, I'm hungry. Now, I just ate, you know, just a couple hours ago, stuffed myself. It was like illegal. <laughs> and so I, I said, I'm hungry. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm calling room service. She says, 2 o'clock. I said, so what? So I called room service. I said, I, I, I'd like to have breakfast. I want some scrambled eggs, a wheat toast, a cup of coffee. They said, do you want that at 6.30 for breakfast? I said, no, I want it right now. <laughs> In about 15 minutes, here comes a little knock on the door. They, they brought room service. That's a cruise ship. There's a contrast. Christianity is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship. See, on a cruise ship, we're on vacation. On a battleship, we're at war. On a cruise ship, it's all about me. On a battleship, it's all about God. On a cruise ship, I'm here to relax. On a battleship, I'm here to fight. On a cruise ship, I must be served by the crew. On the battleship, I am the crew. On a cruise ship, I can complain. You know, they took too long. They're not quick enough. On a battleship, I praise because the Lord chose me to be on his warship, and I'm so thankful. You got to have a different mindset. 
If you take the mindset that I'm on a cruise ship, you'll always sit there and Satan will always pummel you. And you'll always be there feeling sorry and being feeling pitiful. God doesn't respond to pity. God doesn't respond to sorrow. He responds to prayer. On a cruise ship, prayer is seen as a bother, a pest. On a battleship, prayer is seen as a necessity, a must. On a cruise ship, the next stop brings more fun. On a battleship, the next stop brings more deliverance. On a cruise ship, it sails toward the sun, S-U-N. On a battleship, it sails for the capital, S-O-N. See, a cruise ship docks during wartime. Battleship sails during wartime. On a cruise ship, God is seen as a jovial entertainment director. On a battleship, God is seen as a fearless general. We are not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship. Christianity is not about being on a cruise ship, it's about being on a battleship. Our church is not a cruise ship church, it is a battleship church. Change your mentality so you can be able to strike first. So we learn from Jesus, you want to fight spiritually, stay alert. You want to fight spiritually, strike first. We also must learn from Jesus, you want to fight spiritually, defend yourself. See, defensive weapons in prayer are, prayer, are prayers that guard you, prayers that protect you from spiritual attacks. Peter continues to tell the Christians scattered around the Roman Empire, in 1 Peter 5 verse 9, Peter says, but you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. Same thing Jesus was telling him. He couldn't hear it before. Now he's telling him. Like he's the one who thought about it. You know that all over the world the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are. Now you may say to me, Pastor, how do you protect yourself from demonic attacks? See, because one of my prayers is always be, God, help me to finish well. Before I transition to heaven, all I've done all the work of ministry. I don't want any scandals on my name. I don't want any moral impropriety. I don't want these ethical compromise. I just want to finish well. I want to finish, finish on fire for God. I don't want to finish lukewarm. I don't want to finish, you know, just, I, I don't want to finish where I'm just a shell of a person. I want to finish hot on fire for God. So you may say, well, how do you protect yourself against the, the, the onslaughts of Satan? I stay strong in my faith by daily reading the word. By praying. By worshiping daily. It's like you taking food. If you don't take food, no breakfast, lunch, dinner, you're going to get weak and you wonder, why am I weak? And when you're weak, sin becomes so attractive. So you stay strong in the word. You defend yourself by walking in accountability. Jesus tried to hold Peter accountable. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He said, ah, come on, Jesus. I'll go, to the, I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. He wouldn't listen. There must be people in your life that you listen to when they see something about you that you're not watching. None of us see our back. None of us see our vulnerable sides. None of us really are watching. Is there a pattern that's going on? That's Satan is chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Maybe through disappointment, chipping away, chipping away. Through trials, chipping away, chipping away. Sadness, chipping away, chipping away. Testings, chipping away. And here you are now. You don't know. 
So you defend yourself by staying in accountable relationships. You defend yourself also by walking in total obedience to God's word. Whatever God's words say. And I admit to you, there's some things in God's word it's hard to do. It's not easy. It's going to really take me trusting God because he knows what's best for me. You're dating someone. They're not saved. Jesus says in his word that don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Bible language to mean don't look at someone as marriageable when you're single and they don't serve Christ. All it's going to do is lead to pain. And you may say, but I love her. But I love him. But what does the word say? And you start twisting the word and twisting it and saying, well, God's given me some latitude and twisting it. And, and then you set yourself up. You got to be able to say, if I'm going to defend myself in prayer, I must walk in obedience to God's word. The scripture says that submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he flees. So in order for me to resist the devil, as Peter instructs me, Peter says, resist the devil. The way I resist the devil is by submitting myself to the authority of God, the authority of his word, obedience to God. When I do that, Satan, can't, he has no handles on my life, no access point. That's how we fight defensively. Another way we fight defensively is to be able to make sure we repent regularly. See, Repentance, it means to turn around. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, confess your sins before God. He's just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. See, when you repent, you have a clean heart. I, I, I don't have this, I don't have a, any unhealthy relationship with you. I, I, I've, I've asked you to forgive me. If I've offended you, I've asked you to forgive me. And, and I've, and I've tried my best. It's up to you if you have, if you do it. But at least I've asked you with contrition and honesty. And if I've sinned before God, I said, God, I repent of my sin. Help me to live the way you want me to live and do what you want me to do and walk the way you want me to walk. Repentance, it gives you, no, it gives Satan no handles at your life. Nothing you can clutch at and, and say, oh, you've done this and condemn you because you repented. There's a Bible story in Acts 19. These seven adult men, all brothers, seven sons of Sceva, that was their dad, name is Sceva, don't name your, your kids that. Sceva was a Jewish high priest. These seven brothers, they had been watching Paul cast demons out of people. And they figured, hey, I, I can do that. There was one problem. They were not saved. Another problem, they had no spiritual authority whatsoever. Another problem, they didn't have a clue as to what they should do. They knew as there was a demonized man in their community, they'd go to the demonized guy's house. And then they try to cast a demon out of this man. Acts 19 says that the demon inside the man spoke to the seven men. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you boys? He then jumped on all the seven men. Beat seven men. Ripped their clothes off. They're bloody. Beaten. Running out of the house naked. Now news about this spread. Let me read what happened. Acts 19 verse 17 says. When the, the Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus heard about this, they were so frightened that they praised the name of the Lord Jesus. 
many who were followers now started telling everyone about the evil things they had been doing. Some who had been practicing witchcraft even brought their books and burned them in public. These books were worth 50,000 silver coins. So equivalent to about ten to $20,000. Did you get the picture? When those seven adult men, imagine a one man who's demonized beats seven men. Not only little guys. Uh, they beat seven grown men. Rip their clothes off, humiliate them, drive them out the house bloody. People in Ephesus said, did you hear what happened? When Christians heard about it, that they were living dual lives, not in total submission to God. They were so frightened. Nobody instructed them. Nobody told them. Nobody gave them a little teaching. They went into their house and they saw things in their house that they knew was giving Satan access points to their compromise, access points to their duplicity, access points to their living this double life. And so they brought out in their mind, they had witchcraft stuff, books and scrolls and other kind of artifacts. They all brought it out to the public and then they burned it there as a public act of repentance, as a confessional act to say, I am driving Satan out of my home by living defensively. I'm making sure there's nothing in my house that gives Satan access points, no lifestyle practice, nothing like that, so I can walk free and stay free, and Satan can't use my former lifestyle that I still dabble in in order to get me to live this lukewarm, this lukewarm, laissez-faire spiritual life. I want all of who Jesus is. I want all of what he has for me. I want to walk in a way that honors him and I want nothing there to tie me to the path because it's not right. May I suggest, come on, let's give the Lord praise. We're going to be having an Acts 19 service at Prayer Fest. In fact, I got a little basket here I want to show you. And so I want, the, as the media guys are putting on the screen, that when you come in to the lobby, in the sanctuary lobby, on Friday morning, this garbage can, there'll be a couple of them opened up. And if you have porno magazine, you have your old bong that you smoke weed with, and you say, well, it's a classic, it may be worth money. You bring that stuff, love letters from dear John, dear Mary, that they messed your heart up, but they wrote like Shakespeare. You have them all tucked away in your attic. Bring that junk, whatever it is. I, you can't bring a person, don't bring your husband, don't bring your wife and say, I want to be free. No, I'm doing stuff paraphernalia in your house that you're saying it's timing you're thinking that hey, it has nothing to do with it it has a whole lot you know, to, to do with soul ties and connecting you you may say well how come I can't love my husband I can't love my wife because you still have old letters love letters from a girlfriend from college from high school tucked away you bring that junk you may put it in a, in a folder nobody needs to see it drop it in here and at a certain point in our service we bring it here on the altar and we're going to burn all that stuff publicly as a scientist say whom the sun sets free is free indeed Jesus is in the business of liberating his people so we can do things for the glory of God come on someone make some noise to the Lord we've got to learn how to fight spiritually 
We're living in the last days. You can't fight and then play around with Satan. He's crazy. You got to get crazy. You have to use all the weaponry that God's given us. Pray offensively. Pray defensively. Live in a way that honors God. Use your authority. Stay alert. Why? Because the world is depending on you. My children are depending on me. My children's children are depending on me. And you need to recognize this necessity of you walking in a way that demonstrates the authority of a child of God. You're not a weakling. You are a warrior. You're not some civilian. You're a warrior. You're not on some cruise ship. You're on a battleship. You're a warrior. You're a soldier in the army of the Lord. Act like a soldier. Think like a soldier. Live like a soldier. Function like a soldier. Serve like a soldier. And when you do that, you do great things for the glory of God. Someone give the Lord a battle cry.